This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Compliments of the season to each and every one of you. I really hope from my home to yours that you really had a blessed Christmas day and that you were blessed with all the gifts around the tree and, and good quality time with your families. I was just watching the Bible College AV now and I was thinking to maybe encourage one or two of you that have not found the perfect gift for someone yet. Maybe you gave them a second prize gift on Christmas, wondering what would be the ideal gift. Why not wrap a Bible College enrollment um, into a gift for them and give that in the new year? I know it will bless them. And you know what? When Jesus' word enters in, we always transformed. It is one of the best possible gifts that you can give. And if you haven't done Bible college yet, I want to encourage you to enroll. I want to thank Apostle Theo and Pastor Bear for the opportunity that I have of ministering to each and every one of you this morning. And I figured since we're closer to Christmas than we are to New Year, I'd, I'd put together another Christmas message. And I want to encourage you to invite your children, please, to come around. Santa's going to feature in my message this morning, and I know that they'll be entertained and thoroughly, thoroughly blessed. So why don't you invite them in to come and listen to the message this morning? The title of my message is, The Ultimate Present is His Presence. The Ultimate Present is His Presence. And turn with me, please, to the book of Luke chapter 2. Very interesting stories told about Jesus over here when he was 12 years old. And in verse 41, it says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Now, Passover for Jews, or Pesach as it is known, is a time for tremendous celebration. It is one of the feasts of Israel that back then everyone would congregate in Jerusalem to celebrate. What were they celebrating? Well, they were celebrating a, the time when, when God delivered all the Jews out of Pharaoh's clutches in Egypt. And everything to do with this Passover is celebratory. So the first two nights of Passover, they will do what is called the Seder. They'll spend an evening together as a family eating. And everything on the table, whether it's the gofulka fish or whether it's the, um, the, the bread without yeast, everything within that meal is to commemorate the time where they were delivered. And it's a cause for great celebration. They raise their hands towards heaven. They worship God for delivering them from the clutches of Satan. And I want to draw a comparison at the start of this message, perhaps, between Pesach and Passover and Christmas. Because like Passover is for them, Christmas is a time where we celebrate that Jesus delivered us from the world. He ultimately is Passover, isn't he? Jesus. And so the Bible says his parents went up to Jerusalem Every year at the Feast of Passover, verse 42, we'll continue reading. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished, sorry, when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Now, Pesach is an entire week, so they went up to Jerusalem, they had time at the feast, the feast concluded, they left, and they realized, hang on, Jesus isn't around anymore. It says, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days they found him. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, 
why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Interesting story about how Jesus' parents lost him in the feast. They lost him in the middle of Passover. And I think for the most part, the world over, we've lost Jesus in Christmas. And that's why I wanted to take the opportunity this morning, perhaps just to revisit and refocus and get our children's eyes just for a moment off Santa, as important as what that is to a little child, and once again, just focus on Jesus. So here in the story, they got caught up with so much ceremony. They got caught up with all the festivities, everything that was going on, and they completely lost Jesus. When they eventually realized that they searched for him for three days, and they find him in desperation. And he says, why did you seek me? Did you not know I'd be about my father's business? Let me tell you, folks, it's just as easy to find Jesus today in Christmas as it was back then in Passover. We live in a world now where sanitizer is a big thing. Wherever you go, carry it around in your car, go to the shopping malls. Every single time you enter into a store, you have to sanitize. Why? Because the purpose of sanitizer is to kill germs. And I think for the most part, and this is the devil's plan, that Christmas and what Christmas is truly about has been sanitized to a large extent. We've managed to sanitize Christmas to the point where we preach the gospel according to Santa. And the gospel according to Santa is depending on whether you're naughty or nice, is whether you'll get gifts or you'll get rice. And many parents the world over have unintentionally used what should have been a celebration of the birth of the Savior of the world as a reward system to motivate children to be good. And so what I'd like to do today in my message is I'd like to present four very quick contrasts between Santa and our Savior, Jesus. Perhaps it's near to my heart this Christmas because now I've got a granddaughter and um, it's like doing Christmas all over again. You know, as my kids grew up, um, I don't know how to say this without disappointing any children out there, so I think I'm just going to keep quiet. But anyway, Christmas was a big thing in our home um, as far as gifts and that are concerned until my kids were uh, eight or nine years old. And after that, you know, it was, it was important, but focusing and worshiping Jesus was more important. And uh, they are now 23, 24, and it's amazing that how Abigail has now come onto the picture. Now all of a sudden we bought another tree. We got Christmas decorations hanging in our house. That didn't happen for 15 years. You can ask my kids. They always said, Dad, you have a watered down Christmas. But it's become huge again because a child has come into the mix. And so as we raise our children, I think it's important that we keep the main thing the main thing. And so these four contrasts, I believe, are going to bless you as we take a look at it today. And so the first contrast that I'm going to be presenting is this, that Santa's presence are based on behavior, but the Savior's presence is based on grace. You know, we live in a world that is so performance-based. Everything is about performance. You are promoted because you perform well. You're loved because especially with your spouse or with your family, because of the way you behave. And when you behave badly, what happens? Discipline kicks in. And so we live in a world that is so performance-based 
And center leverages off this, the whole idea of center leverages off this, and center's presence are based on behavior, but the Savior's presence is based on grace. The presence of Jesus has never been and will never be based on works. It is based purely on grace. You see, the truth is this, that Good will, be, will never, ever be good enough. I'm so thankful for God's grace as I stand here and teach this message to you today. I'm so grateful. I promise you, God has never used anybody that's perfect apart from Jesus. And if I had to be a performer in order to stand before you today, I can promise you now, this would go over like a lead balloon. I'm so grateful for the grace of God. I know that good will never, ever be good enough. But God... Is God enough? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So as we, as we now depart from this festive season, preparing already for next year Christmas, let's make sure that our children's focus on Santa and his gifts do not detract from the mercy and grace of God that is always available to every single person, regardless of where they find themselves. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, the Bible says this, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags before the Lord. Now, if you go into the Hebrew and you begin to study what filthy rags really means, you would be horrified because children are watching. I'm not going to expound on that this morning. But needless to say, the Bible says in Isaiah that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. You know, there was a time where Christine and I were potty training, Shannon and Rebecca, and if they're watching this, they may get embarrassed, but deal with it. We were potty training Shannon and Rebecca, and as you know, most kids are very reluctant to use the potty, very, very reluctant, and sometimes it's a huge mission. So in order to encourage them, especially when they needed to make a poo, we, me and Christine would gather around with the potty over there, you know, and they would, and in the beginning it was like a big thing, and, and they, and, but we'd celebrate, you know, when, they, when they'd stand up, we'd go, yeah, you did it, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, all the parents out there, you make a big thing of it, hey, Pastor Greg, he, we, I've got two people in the congregation with me yet today. So, so you, you, they just going crazy. We, we would celebrate and go crazy, you know. And eventually, you know, they'd, they'd stand up off their potty so proud and, and they'd like look down and look at us as if to say, listen, man, how about another clap? You know, and I, I think that's what it's like with God sometimes, you know. All of our righteous deeds, we have this earning mentality because you have to earn your gifts for Christmas. You have to earn your way in life. And and yet we come to the Lord and we finish and I get off this pulpit and I preach a great sermon and I almost like look up and I say, hey, how, was that? how was that, God? And just like me looking at my child, her potty, he's going, yay, it's just dung. I mean, that's what Paul says. He says, all my good works are like dung before the Lord. So the first contrast is that Santa's presence are based on behavior, but our Savior's presence is based on on 
grace. Won't you put your hands together in your homes and say, Father, I want to thank you for the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you for being gracious to me. Thank you for empowering me with your presence that enables me to be who God created me to be and to do what God has created me to do. Thank God you are not like Santa, that I have to make it into your nice book. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Secondly, Santa's presence are limited, but Jesus' presence is unlimited. Listen, folks, this is as good as it's going to get. You may as well get on with my little Santa message right now and start start enjoying it. Praise the Lord. So Santa's presence are limited, but Jesus' presence is unlimited. You see, Santa only comes out once a year. We know this, right, kids? He only comes out once a year to give gifts to those who've made it onto his nice list. But his time is limited. I mean, kids look forward to the entire year just to look, just to get something at Christmas. By and large, they only behave themselves like the last week leading up to it because that's when most parents do their shopping. But needless to say, they look forward to Christmas the whole year. What are they going to unwrap? What are they going to get? It's limited. You see, he's got to get back to the North Pole, folks, with his elves. He's got to prepare for next year's event. I mean, he's, he's limited in time. He's limited in space. He's limited in all these things, which is why you only see him once a year. But you know, folks, one of the names of the Father is Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came. And he lived as we lived. He suffered what we suffered. He endured the same temptations in order that he could identify with us in order to rescue us. Thank God Jesus was not a politician. You see, there's an an identification strategy that most politicians use as time approaches the elections. What do they do? They'll, They'll come out of their ivory towers, out of their parliament buildings, they'll They'll take off their suit jacket, get out of their motorcade and their, and their, and their, um, get out of their motorcade and, and they'll walk amongst common people where they get most of their voters from. And that's what they'll do. They walk around, they'll roll up their sleeves and they'll shake hands. And the amazing thing is that this one moment that these politicians do this, the people will look at them and say, this guy, he gets me. He's, he's one of us. Let me tell you, he's not. The moment the photo's been taken, And it looks like he's one of you. Promise you, he rolls down his sleeves, puts his jacket back on. He doesn't give up anything. He doesn't give up his beautiful home. He doesn't give up his beautiful cars. He just used you as a means to an end. A means to an end. He used you as a photo opportunity. And often the very people that vote for him are the ones that remain poor and and destitute. And he ends up doing nothing for them. But you see, the Bible says that Jesus wasn't like that. I once heard a a beautiful story that helps us understand the kind of predicament that God found himself in. If you can imagine standing in front of a, a, a round table, and on this round table were millions upon millions of ants. At the bottom of the table was fire. It was placed on hot coals. And you saw all these ants falling off the side of the table. And you standing there trying to say, hey, ant, 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 please stop. Don't walk. You're going to fall. You're going to die. You're going to burn. Please stop. And you just just can't get through to them. 
So what would the solution be? Because, I mean, the table's too big for you to be able to put your hands around and prevent the ants from falling into the fire. Well, the solution simply would be, if it was possible, to become an ant yourself. You become an ant. You give up all of your privileges. You give up all of your powers. And you take on the form of an ant. And you go into the midst of this chaos. And you begin to warn them and tell them, listen, don't go to the end of the table. You became them. What a beautiful picture of what God did in Jesus. He became, he could not get through to us from heaven. So what did he do? He became a man just like you and I. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Jesus isn't a politician. The Bible tells us that he was touched. He was touched with the feeling of our infirmity. And he lived among us. You see, for us, Jesus wasn't a means to an end. He was the end. So we talk about Santa's presence are limited, but Jesus' presence is completely and totally and utterly unlimited. Folks, he's here right now. As we worship today with maybe 20 people in this auditorium, the presence of God was tangible. And I don't know where you find yourself or where you're watching this program from. I want to encourage you to transfer your trust from people, from leaders who have promised you the world, and put your trust completely and totally in Jesus. In January, I'm going to be preaching from Jeremiah, and the theme of my message is this, that cursed is every man who trusts in man, but blessed is every man who trusts in the Lord. People will always let you down, but Jesus will never, ever, ever let you down. So he's here right now. Offering his presence as our present for Christmas. You may feel lost and you may feel completely alone this festive season. Perhaps you're hopeless and in despair thinking that no one understands what I'm going through. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to add just two words onto that sentence. You say no one understands, I'm saying but Jesus. You see, he came and was born as a child. He grew up, he was disciplined by his parents. He worked as a carpenter. He built and framed houses. He did all those things that young people would do. He slammed his thumb with a hammer. He knew what pain was. In everything, he was tempted, the Bible says, in all ways as we are tempted, which means he was tempted as a child. He was tempted as an adult, but yet was without sin. And the reason that God sent Jesus to live for 30 years before he started his ministry was so that we could never look at him and say, Jesus, you don't understand. He understands. He understands what it's like to not have 10 rand left in your bank account come Christmas. He knows he understands. He's been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Everything that you feel right now, I don't know what you're feeling, but I know that many of you out there are watching are in despair. I was ministering to a lady just yesterday morning who suffers from depression. She's got everything in the world that she needs. Drives a beautiful Range Rover, lives in a, in a paid-off a, a paid house. Husband works hard to provide for her, but yet she suffers with depression. I know it's real, and I know there are people out there. Let me tell you, folks, Jesus, how do you think he felt when he stood on the top 
of that temple. Do you think the devil took him up there physically to position him to tempt him? Jesus, Jesus endured the temptation and the suffering of depression and suicide. That's why the devil said to him, cast yourself off from this temple. Jesus was in that place. He's felt, let me tell you this, you need to hear this. Satan, Santa's presence are limited, but Jesus' presence is unlimited. He's felt every single emotion and feeling that you are feeling, yet was without sin. He took them to the Lord. You have a Savior who is Emmanuel. He is God with us, and he's prepared to meet you right there where you're at. You see, Jesus doesn't need our vote nor even our endorsement in order to make a difference because he is the difference. Let's take a look at the third one. Santa's prayer. Oh, by the way, did you hear about the dyslexic Satanist? You hear about him? He sold his soul to Santa. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. <laughs> so Santa's presents are what we want. Listen to this, little ones. Santa's presents are what we want, but the Savior's presence is what we need. Think about it. Every single one of us here today have what is called an it. Every single one of us watching here today have an it. That one thing that we all wanted. Perhaps your it for Christmas was a paid off house. Even growing up as a child, I remember when I was 12 years old, my it was a, was a BMX. I just wanted a BMX. And I thought, listen, if I get that BMX, guess what? It's plain sailing for the rest of my life. If I can just get, what was your it? Was your it the promotion in the different phases of your life? And you know, the amazing thing is, how many of you actually got that it? You know, you got that it, and then you realized, is this it? <laughs> no sooner had you got the it, then you went on and you moved on to the next it. And then the next it, and the next it, and eventually it began to consume you, all these it. You see, Santa's presence are what we want, but the Savior's presence is really what we need. Nothing, nothing, not your new car, not your new house, not your new wife, nothing satisfied, satisfies like Jesus. And you know, all these it's that we have and all the things we pursue, the new PlayStation 5 apparently has come out now. Kids are a, it's a big deal for all of them. They're so excited. Nothing satisfied like Jesus. All the it's we pursue are really, in actual fact, just the hunger, the hunger of our souls for Christ that we have misinterpreted as a wanting for things. So Santa's presence are what we want, but the Savior's presence is what we need. And you know, moms and dads, folks, every year as you enter the Christmas season, I want to encourage you to draw a very clear distinction between Santa and our Savior. Always make sure that your, that your children being raised know exactly what Christmas is about. Let's stop sanitizing it. Let's speak about just like they did at Pesach. They celebrated and thanked God for delivering them out of Egypt, all the Jews. Let's take this time during Christmas to raise our hands and to pray with our kids and say, Father, thank you for rescuing us. We may not have everything, 
but we have you, and it's all we need. Use this opportunity this time of the year to teach your children gratitude, to be grateful for the small things as well as the big things. Every Christmas, children are disappointed. Every Christmas, one or other Christmas, they're disappointed because they have in their hearts what they want. But as loving parents, sometimes we need to give them what they need. If Abigail trusts God for a shotgun next year, guess what? She's not getting it from me, and I'll make sure she doesn't get it from her parents. God knows what we need. And during this time, why do you think he pours out his peace on earth and goodwill towards men? That's God's gift to us. There's no better time in the year to make peace with enemies than during this time of Christmas. Santa's presents are Santa's presents are what we want, but the Savior's presence is what we need. The fourth one, and I'll conclude with this. Santa's presents are under the tree, but our Savior's presence hung on a tree. Make sure your kids know that that ornament standing in your, in your living room that's so beautifully decorated represents maybe a tree that you hang decorations on, and that's the gifts that God has given us. But more importantly, it represents the cross for me and for my family that Jesus hung on. You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's this time during Christmas that we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, we tend to forget we tend to forget that the Father God was and is the initiator of this love relationship of ours. And let me say this, if you get this, it will completely transform your outlook on Christmas and bless you during this festive season. We tend to forget that the Father was and is the initiator of our love relationship. We are not the initiator of it. And if you understand that God is the one that initiated it, you will stop living a performance-based lifestyle. We get this backwards sometimes with, that, with this earning mentality. If only I'm good enough, then he will really love me. If I can just initiate perhaps a better lifestyle, then he will draw close to me. If I, if I, if I. You see, I'm old school. I believe it's the man that should be the initiator in the relationship between a man and a woman. Both my girls have dated successfully and unsuccessfully and attempted to date different guys over the years. And it's so wonderful and interesting to see how excited they get at the, at the, at the prospect of meeting the one. Every now and then they'll, they'll speak to me and Christine about it, especially when they were young, and they would tell us how they attempted to reach out on Facebook or Instagram or excessively like one of their posts or just to make the guy know or let the guy know that they are interested. And I'm saying, heck no. Women aren't created to be the pursuers. The lady should be just sitting back and looking pretty. Should just be sitting back. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so listen very carefully. I mentioned earlier on that God is the instigator, or he is the initiator of this love relationship. You see, I recall so vividly the very first time that I saw Pastor Christine. I was 12 years old on the beach in a Manzum Toti. 
I was standing next to an Italian friend of mine, and many of you have heard the story, but listen to it as I share perhaps just a bit of a different perspective on it this morning. I recall so vividly the first time I saw, I was standing next to this Italian friend of mine, Warren. She was walking, I was on the beach, I was on the sand, and she was walking along the water. She was walking with a friend of hers by the name of Leanne Perchman. And when I saw her, life stopped. I'd never met her before, I'd never spoken to her before, I'd never greeted her before, but I looked at her and I fell in love with her. At 12 years old, now listen kids, you don't use my example to excuse your dating and tell your parents, listen, see Pastor Andre dated at 12, he met his wife at 12, so therefore, no, don't make the exception the rule. I'm the exception, okay? So, and I fell in love with her and I bumped Warren standing next to me, I'm 12 years old, and I said to him, I'm gonna marry that girl. I promise you, life stopped for me as I knew it. I didn't worry about my boogie board anymore. I didn't worry about my son, and I did worry about my son, Tan Little, but there's a lot of stuff that just, it was put on the back burner. And I began to then orchestrate events because I thought, listen, I've got to meet this girl. And so I spoke to Warren. I said, do you know who that is? He says, yes, that's Christine Matthews. She knows Vanessa. Now, Vanessa was Warren's sister. So I said to Warren, I said, listen, we got to arrange something. Let's do a bride at your house. And maybe because I was too shy, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm orchestrating events. I'm not coming right out there. And I'm orchestrating events. And so I spoke to Vanessa and I said, listen, why don't you invite Christine over for a bride? The point I'm trying to make is, you see, folks, there's a reason why the Bible says that God is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Jesus is called the bridegroom and we are the bride. So I began to orchestrate events and you wouldn't believe it, it was the following week that we had a bride at Warren's house and Christine was there. But all that week I could think about nothing else but her and I picked her and I chose her and today we are more happily married and our relationship is stronger than what it has ever been even since the time I fell in love with her when she was 11 years old. You see, she didn't make the plans. She didn't even know I existed. The future bride didn't work in order to hook us up. The bridegroom initiated whatever it was going to become between us and him. And I'm here this morning to tell someone out there that Jesus the lover of your soul, the bridegroom, has been orchestrating events from the first moment he laid his eyes on you. From the moment he saw you, just like I saw her, he began to put people in position, in place. He began to commission his angels to go out and orchestrate events that would bring you to the place where he ultimately gets to introduce himself to you, and perhaps that's today. You see, all of this was made possible not because the gifts of Christ were under a tree, but because he hung on a tree for you and I to buy us back. The Bible says he bought us back. If ever you've read the book of, Isaiah, of Hosea and Gomer, Hosea was a minor prophet. The Bible says when God began to speak to Hosea through uh, to Israel through Hosea. The Bible says that God instructed Hosea to go and marry a prostitute so that he would have to raise children that were his own 
and children that she would bear from other men. It's an amazing story. And every now and then, Goma would drift off. She would wander off, and she'd come back pregnant because she'd gone back into prostitution with another man's child. And Hosea would be there for the delivery of the baby, and he would raise the baby. But there was one point where Goma just left, and she didn't come back. And God instructs Hosea. He says, I want you to go fetch her. But not only fetch her, I want you to pay a price for her. You are to pay 15 pieces of silver. You are to pay five bushels of barley. You are to give them new wine to buy back this wife that has been unfaithful to you. Let me ask you today, perhaps you were that bride that's wandered off during this Christmas season and you've lost your way. I want you to know today that Jesus, Jesus is Hosea and he's here. He brought you back as he hung on the tree. Can you imagine in the natural, spending your life savings on the perfect engagement ring for a complete stranger, someone you've never met or never knew, perhaps a girl you had seen that you had not yet introduced yourself to. Imagine the risk involved. You see, folks, we didn't choose God. He chose us. This relationship is not performance-based. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and verse 19 that we love him because he first loved us. He is the initiator of this love relationship. And so the works aspect of like trying to be better to, in order to get more gifts, we don't have to live that way. The grace and mercy of God is present for each and every one of you. You don't have to earn his love because he initiated already. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, perhaps you're watching this today and you're thinking, that's me, Pastor Andre, I'm, I'm Goma, I've wandered off. Perhaps you didn't realize that the Lord has orchestrated all of these events. Maybe you would not have even found yourself in Christian family church. You would never have walked through those doors, but yet here you are online watching the service. Let me tell you, God's behind it. He's orchestrating these events so that he can open the box with the engagement ring and, will, and, says, and saying to you, will you marry me? Your life will never be the same again. Your life will never be the same again. I want to pray with you this morning. Won't you please just bow your heads and close your eyes, wherever you may be, and say this prayer after me this morning. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me for forgetting you. Forgive me for rejecting you. I know beyond a shadow of doubt that you are the Savior of the world, that you came and died for me, and after three days, you rose again. You hung on a tree and paid the price so that I could go free. Today, I receive my freedom. And as your bride, I say I do. I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. I promise to love you and to serve you 
until the day I meet you face to face. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, for a moment, I just want you to imagine the Lord putting that engagement ring on your finger, saying that you are mine. You are the bride. I'm the bridegroom. You now love me because I loved you first. Father, I pray for every single person that's listened to this message this morning. Thank you that once again we've aligned ourselves and found our true north. Thank you for your presence and your love that it's unconditional, it's unlimited. And we soak that in this morning. We thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy on our lives. And we worship you. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I'm gonna ask, please, that you would text SAVE to 4991. At Christian Family Church, we are big on next steps. We wanna make sure that you know exactly what the next step is to take in your walk with Jesus. And we're gonna be in contact with you and tell you exactly how you can get that done. Isn't God good? Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.